But wait, there's more. <laughs> I love that. He took the words right out of my mouth. No, it's true. No matter how long we have been walking with the Lord, we never come to an end of revelation. Amen. There is always more. That book might be that deep physically, but it's ginormous. The revelation contained within the Bible, it just goes on and on, never ends. And there's always something new, always something for you specifically, always something that meets the need we are at. Anybody agree with that? I'd just like to pray before I start. Lord Jesus, we honor you this morning. We do give you all the praise and everything that's been said about you this morning. We just endorse again and just lift our eyes towards you. Give us eyes to see, Lord, ears to hear, hearts and minds to understand what it is that that you want to say this morning. You've already said quite a lot, and that's amazing. But I ask for open hearts, Lord. Let us hear your word, because we know your word is alive. We know your word is alive and sharp. Lord, we give you all the glory. Amen. I'm preaching from the Old Testament this morning. Don't leave. Don't run away. It's okay. (laughs) There are treasures in the Old Testament. There are basics, fundamentals, things that don't change. But there is also new treasures in there, basics and fundamentals that don't change, but things that might be applied in ways that are fresh and are alive. Because Jesus is alive, he is the word his word is alive. It's alive in us. It's alive and active. And it's alive and active in the, in the world, in the earth, and doing things. Amen. Hallelujah. We raise a hallelujah to that one. Thank you, Mike. Yeah. I'm talking about Nehemiah this morning and the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem, specifically the gates in the walls. Just a little bit of background first. It's all right. It's not, it's not, we're not going to be here till next week. It's fine. Jerusalem had been besieged in 587 BC. Well, Jerusalem was besieged on a lot, of, a lot of times. But this was kind of the last time because the Israelites were taken um, to Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar, who was a bad king. And they were very, very sad. The city was decimated. It was desecrated. It was all destruction, as you can see. And it was the most important incident in the Jewish history Because that's when the Israelites ceased to be Israelites and became known as Jews from the very word Judah, because that was the Judean kingdom at the time, which is something I learned when I was researching this. Do you remember the song? Anybody old enough to remember the song? By the rivers of Babylon, where we sat down. Yay, we wept when we remembered Zion. Very sad. They couldn't even sing the songs of the Lord because they were so destroyed within themselves. Ezekiel had promised that they would be taken captive and that they would return. Seventy years it took. Now, that's a whole other story why it was 70 years, which I won't go into now. 70 years, which means probably three generations had gone by 
But it was still, we long for Zion. We cannot sing the songs of Zion because we're so sad. How can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? Where we get that wonderful quote from Fiddler on the Roof. I am a stranger in a strange land. Always the Jews have been strangers in strange lands. However, by God's grace, a new king arrived in Babylon, Cyrus, who was actually quite amenable, quite open to what was going on. And at this stage, we bring in Nehemiah, who was the king's cupbearer. Now, that means that he tasted everything that the king had to taste and eat, in case it was poison, which would mean that the cupbearer would die first, and therefore they'd know. Incredible, really. But anyway, he survived by God's grace. But the cupbearer was more than just a taster. He was a very personal confidant. Now, we would probably call him the PA. He knew everything. He was very, very close to the king. And he was very sad a lot of the time because of his people's situation. The city, the place of my father, lies in waste. And the, and the king noticed this and said to him, Nehemiah, you're not yourself. What is it? You know, what's the matter with you? Are you sick? And of course... Nehemiah had prayed, as we would in this situation. He said, my, my city is devastated. The place of my father's is laid waste. There it is. And he knew all this. He hadn't been yet, of course. He knew all this because of the spies and other people who'd brought back the information. And the king, by God's grace, said, how long will you be and when will you return? Off you go. You can go check it out. Which was amazing, absolutely amazing. When Nehemiah got to Jerusalem, he wept. There are not many instances of big, strong men weeping in the Bible. But Nehemiah wept when he saw that. That was his city. It was Zion. It was the place of God's residence, according to the, the Jews. The temple was there, but the temple, of course, had been destroyed. And he wept. He decided he was going to rebuild. Of course he was going to rebuild. But where to start? We know a little bit about rebuilding here, don't we? He decided to rebuild the walls because it was achievable and because he had a lot of people who would help. But the walls are quite symbolic because they provide security and they provide provision and prosperity. But they're also symbolic of protection Protection around the city. And then we come to Nehemiah's name. I love this. There are things about God that just leap out at you when you're studying and which just go, oh, yes, Lord. Anyone know what Nehemiah means? God restores. God restores. That's his name. That's what it means. That's an awesome moment. That's a, a moment that makes your heart leap. Now, as, an, as a sort of aside, Jesus himself appears throughout the Old Testament, which is a whole another preach, which I won't go there. There are the obvious ones, of course, like in Genesis, he's the seed of the woman. In Exodus, he's the Passover lamb. In Joshua, he's the captain of the Lord's host, etc., etc. One day, I'll, I'll preach on all that. That is also so exciting. But what I want to concentrate now is the threesome, the trinity, God restores, but the ultimate restoration for us 
was when Jesus came, died on the cross, and restored us back into God's fellowship, God's favor, the ultimate restorer. So that is my theme for this morning. I finally get to it. God restores through Jesus Christ our Lord. He restores. Hold that thought. The ancient city walls were broken down. Now the walls, the gates in the walls, were points of contact. They were where business was conducted. They were where issues were debated and news communicated, etc., etc. The entrances and the exits. They symbolized power and prosperity in the city. They symbolized the continued action of the city and what made a city function. The word, the Bible, can be read and interpreted in many ways, as we know. And that's part of the beauty and excitement of the word, because it's literal, it's literal history. There's been nothing proved wrong ever in the literal history of the Bible. In fact, quite the reverse. The more they dig up in those ancient lands, the more it's proved that, oh yes, this actually happened. Oh yes, the walls of Jericho did fall. Oh yes, this, this, oh funny that, it was written in the Bible. Yep. But we also look at it figuratively, metaphorically. It's poetry, it's history, it's analogy, it's allegory, it's prophecy, it's promises. It just goes on and on and on. And that in itself is another sermon as well, which I won't go into today. You'll be pleased to know. (laughs) Back to the gates. God restores. Broadly speaking, I have taken, metaphorically, the gates as the entrances to the ways of life. Because the wall is the security around Jerusalem... The wall, metaphorically, a wall around our lives, and the gates are the points of entrances. Or not, as the case may be. Hold that thought. Isaiah 61, verse 18 says, There will be no more destruction, but you shall call your walls salvation, and your gates praise. Referring to the holy city, but also to us, to the Jewish people, but to us as his people. Okay. When Nehemiah started to do his research, have you done your research? He found destruction, brokenness, fire, sadness, no temple, no worship. But this was also a picture, a figurative picture of the people. They were in Babylon. They were in a strange land. They were sad. They were destroyed. Very much like that picture, their lives were a mess. Now, when I started doing the research for this, I was absolutely astounded to discover, don't you love it when God astounds you? I went through the gates and thought, yeah, this is good. This is good. These gates are what I'm talking about. These gates are the story. But the order of the gates, see, God leaves no stone unturned in revealing himself to us. The order of the gates, and I'm not going to tell you right now because it will become apparent as we go through. The order of the gates is just 
magnificent. Now, of course, Nehemiah could have started anywhere. The gates also had specific purposes in the wall, but he didn't. The way he did it was in God, and the way he did it was revelatory for us. The first gate, the sheep gate. Sheep receive more attention in the Bible. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> sheep receive more attention in the Bible than any other animal. They are important. They are significant. Metaphorically, sheep symbolize those of us who belong to the Lord we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. But we all, as the scripture says, like sheep, have gone astray. Whether we're brought up in a Christian home or not, we still go astray. We have gone everyone to his own way, as we know. We, a few years ago, had a lifestyle block and we had a few sheep. We didn't know anything about it when we first went there. We didn't know anything about a sheep's, sheep, um, or sheeps for that matter. Um, and of course we learned as we went along that um, you had to get them into the yards occasionally for drenching, crutching, shearing, lambing, going to the works, whatever, whatever. You have to get them at some point into the yards. Well, <laughs> we, <laughs> we tried chasing them, but of course they just run away. And you can get as many people as you like, you know, going like this. And the sheep will just fox you every time. We got a whole lot of people holding big bits of material. Sheep, um, sheep apparently think a piece of material is a solid object. Oh, they do. Great. So you hold this in a big long line and you advance on the sheep, getting them to the gates. And then they go underneath it. Or occasionally they jump over the top. And we, 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 we just got so frustrated with them. They just would not do what we wanted them to do. Sheep. Have you ever done that? Duck and dive to get away from the Lord. Leap over where he's put a nice gate for you. Leap over. No, Lord, not today, thanks. Duck underneath. So true. So true. Sheep need to be guided and guarded. He left the 99 to find the single one because he was not willing that any should perish. Awesome. That is the start of our salvation experience. Lost sheep, badly in need of a shepherd. The next gate is the fish gate. There's a verse in Habakkuk, chapter 1, which says, He sees men as fish of the sea that have no ruler over them, except themselves. A school of fish, you've seen it on the tally, they all go together. They all go together. They move up, down, sideways. They follow each other. Have you seen that? Magnificent. They just move. They just, as one, they move, they go. Now, isn't this a picture of us in a crowd? Isn't this a picture of us clinging to the sameness, clinging to the cultural patterns that we know, social conventions and customs, clinging to 
peer pressure for young people. What is the rest of them doing? Let's follow. Fish. In many cultures, the sea represents space, vacancy. It's a place of dregs, emptiness, perhaps rubbish. As Anna, where's Anna? Spoke to us a few weeks ago about the rubbish in the sea, especially now. Here's a picture of people who have their own agenda, and that's all they have, and they're moving in this mess of the sea, of chaos. Even the wicked in the word are described as the troubled and restless sea. So I've used the fish as a metaphor for the ungodly, for the unsaved. A multitude going their own ways who simply don't know any better. Following the crowd. But Jesus. But Jesus. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. To pluck you out from the crowd, to catch you up and out, to lift you out of the chaos and the rubbish... What an image. What a promise. We are in the world, but we're not of it. The fish are of it. They all follow each other. We are in the world, but we're not of it. I will make you fishers of men. Which leads me to the next gate, which is the old gate. Do you see how this is forming a picture? Jesus comes in, lifts us up out of the restless sea, and we get saved. Most of us get saved. There's a quote I just found somewhere which says, I didn't know how saved I needed to be until I got saved. Isn't that true? Isn't that wonderful? I didn't know how saved I needed to be until I got saved. Awesome. But when we get saved... We're supposed to put off the old man with his deeds and put on the new man. Old things have passed away. The Lord says, I will do a new thing and make all things new. Does it? Does it happen quite that easily? For many, it's not quite that straightforward. What remains of the old self, the old habits, attitudes, behaviors, woundings, Remain. It's not easy. As the saying goes, it doesn't happen overnight. For some people it does. But for many it doesn't. The past can be a heavy burden and many still struggle. Sometimes it's not necessarily bad things. But it's not necessarily God's best for you either. As long as you're holding on, that means thinking about or dwelling on things of the past, you won't really be able to take hold of things of the future. That old serpent, the devil, will always be there to remind you of the old stuff. What is the answer? Put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of he who created him. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Now, this is a process It's a process. It mostly does not happen overnight. But remember, he restores. 
He is our restoration. And the restoration work that Jesus did on the cross is so, that's just where it's at for us, isn't it? The word restoration means to recover, to reform, to rebuild. You can't alter your past, but you can put your past on the altar. If you're saying, it's what I've always done, that's just me. Yep, but God restores. God restores. Don't let that old gate hold you captive, but move on. It's little by little, line upon line, precept upon precept, we get there. The renewal, the restoration, the rebuild. Having said it's not always easy, um, the next gate shook me a little bit, which is the valley gate. Why did it come in there? Waking, working on the order of things, but that's the way it was, so I went with it, and the valley. Sometimes, early on after conversion, people go, do go through a valley experience, a deep place, a lonely place. Many can relate to this. The valley takes many forms, and when you're in the valley, it's very difficult to see, it's difficult to understand why. But Jesus, know that he knows, know that he understands. Didn't Jesus himself walk through the deepest, the darkest, the most lonely valley? Yeah, yeah. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, yet thou art with me. He is there in the valley. He is the God of the valleys. He is the God in the valley. And let's not forget, Jesus is the lily of the valley. He's the beautiful thing in the midst of the darkness. So be assured. Be comforted. Every valley shall be lifted up because that is his promise. Um, I have a sister called Valerie um, who went through some very, very difficult times. And she got saved, which was amazing. And she said to me, um, I'm going to change my name. I'm no longer going to be Valerie. I thought, oh my goodness, what now? <laughs> I'm going to be Valley. And I must admit my heart sank because I saw a valley a deep, dark place. I thought, oh, haven't you been through enough of those? I don't like that idea. Um, but I didn't say anything to her, of course. I just held that in my heart, as, as you sometimes do as a woman, or as anybody that, for that matter. We were on holiday um, in Akaroa, and I was sitting, looking out over the harbour, as you do, and, and just seeking the Lord and praying. And I said to the Lord... I'm concerned about Valley, Valerie changing her name to Valley because it speaks of a deep, dark place, and she's had enough of that. And I looked up, and there's the sea, the, the harbour, and there's the mountain. What's it called? That directly opposite? I've forgotten. That mountain, hill, whatever, higher place. 
And straight away that scripture came to me. Every valley shall be lifted up. And every mountain shall be brought down. And I just wept. I was just overcome. I thought, oh, of course. Of course, Lord. Why didn't I think of that? Thank you so much. Every valley shall be lifted up. That is his promise. So if anyone can relate to that, that is the promise for you as well. Every valley shall be lifted up. Every deep, dark place shall come up to the light. And it, it hasn't been easy for my sister, but she's, she's done well. She's doing well. Um, a personal story, but I'm sure you can relate to, to what I'm saying there. Um, yeah, that's the valley gate. The next one is not pretty. The next one is the dung gate. Again, when I read that, I, did, I thought, oh, really? Really, Lord? Yeah, okay, yep, I'm going with it. It's like, but wait, there's more. The dung gate was very important in the city of Jerusalem. Well, any, any walled city for that matter. It's the place of dumping rubbish, of course, the place of refuse. Dung or rubbish of any kind is a necessary byproduct of growth. As in the natural, so in the spiritual. Stuff, stuff.com from the old life will keep resurfacing, especially in the early days. It's how you deal with it. Remember, God restores. Hebrews 21.1, we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin, looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher. In other words, even the angels are watching, which gives meaning and motivation to lay aside all that stuff. The stuff of failure, the stuff of feelings, the stuff of sin, dare I use the word, Lay it at the foot of the cross. That's a terrible picture. But we know it's true. We know that that's what happens. Left alone, problems tend to get worse. Left alone, problems tend to get worse. It's like a garden. If you don't tend your garden, it will get weeds. It will collect rubbish. It will get this deep and stuff. If you don't look after yourself, like have a shower every day, you'll smell. Now I'm going to step out here. Mike, are you here? Yes, you are. I'm going to mention the second law of thermodynamics. Bear with me. There is a natural tendency of any isolated system to degenerate into a more disordered state. I'll say that again. There is a natural tendency of any isolated, that's left alone, system to degenerate into a more disordered state. That's a fundamental law in physics and applicable to any natural science. Things get worse if not tended, nurtured, cared for. How does that work with evolution, it completely foxes me. Because if you leave things alone, 
They do not get any better. There's the law. There's the principle. They get worse. Hey, Mike? He's our expert in these areas. So, don't leave stuff to fester. Facilitate that, if I dare use the term, passage out. Leave it behind. As in the natural, stow in the, sow in the spiritual, stay regular. Get rid of your stuff. If you've got sin, badness, toxic stuff, which will keep cropping up, confess immediately and receive assurance from the God who restores. As Paul said, I count all things but dung that I might win Christ. That's a powerful statement, but you get the gist. Get what he meant. Be constantly at the dung gate dropping stuff off. That's all I'm going to say. Now, the next gate is a positive one. You'll be pleased to know. The fountain gate. Jesus said to the woman at the well, If any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. Whoever drinks of this water shall never thirst. For the water I shall give to him will be as a well springing up to everlasting life. What an image. What an image that is. The fountain springing up. As an aside, um, the Israelis themselves, oh, now they're back, <laughs> have um, invented and perfected the most amazing irrigation systems, turning deserts into fruitful land, fruitful and productive land, which is also another, an, a whole other story by God's grace. Um, but again, it's water. Fountains of water also speak of the anointing, that wellspring that springs up. The source of the flow. God equipping and empowering us to succeed in whatever we've been called to do. With you, Lord, is the fountain of life. He is the fountain of abundant and everlasting life. He is the source. Satisfies our deepest needs. There are many, many scriptures that talk about the refreshing and the amazing properties of the water that's spoken of in the fountains. I've taken the fountain as to mean more um, almost anointing of, of water, almost baptism in the Holy Spirit, which there may be someone out there thinking about that at the moment. Again, after all those gates, we've been there, the sheep gate, the fish gate following the crowd, the old gate, getting rid of our old stuff. The valley gate, desperate times. The dung gate, where we decide to leave it behind. And the fountain gate, where we are blessed abundantly. Gate number seven is the water gate. What's the difference between the fountain of the water and the water? Well, I've taken this one to be the water of the word. Ephesians 5.26, Christ loved the church and gave himself for it that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. Again, a very powerful image. The word, 
after all we've done all those things, or even during doing all those things, the word, the word, the word, the learning of it, the meditating in it, the renewing of the mind with it, the obeying of it. Remember, it's little by little, line upon line, precept upon precept. We learn and we grow. It's a process. But Jesus is the Word made flesh. We know this. The expression of God in human form. Could spend hours on that one, but I won't. Many scriptures reflect and amplify this principle that the Word, written, spoken, living in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ has the power to cleanse, to wash away sin, to regenerate the mind, and to bring light, victory, cleansing, and faith. The Word is alive, powerful, and active. It instructs us, it gives wisdom, imparts strength, and produces peace. Life more abundantly. Jesus, even his name, means the word of God. As we used to say in the 80s, the word, get into it so that it can get into you. That's a picture of the washing of the water of the word, constantly moving, constantly giving you new revelation constantly cleansing. Wonderful. The next gate, and, the, and there are only nine. <laughs> this is number eight. The horse gate. And when I first read that, I thought, oh, what's horses got to do with it? But, but, horses speak of strength. Horses speak of power. You know, in, in the Bible, you'll hardly find a time when ordinary people rode horses. Ordinary people rode donkeys. Those who rode the horses were the soldiers, were the kings, were the powerful ones, were the ones going to war. So horses speak of strength and power, particularly in warfare. They speak of victory. They speak of overcoming and hasn't he given us amazing tools to do just that? Overcome, I mean. His promise is that we will go from strength to strength. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They will go from strength to strength. The gifts and talents and abilities he has given to us, apart from the constant accessibility to his throne of grace, are just Manifold and amazing. The spiritual gifts we know about, there goes another preach, to know, to say, and to do, like spirits of wisdom, discernment, and prophecy, miracles, etc. But there's also natural giftings as well. Administration. We've all met those who are wonderful at administration, haven't we? Yep. Encouragement. Helps. Hospitality. I look around here and I think... Yep, your hospitality, your helps, your encouragement. Mercy, teaching, evangelism, they are all strengths. Power to know and to do his goodwill. His promise is when I am weak, then I am strong. 
He is our strength. Life can be tough, as we've seen, unpredictable and difficult, and it's not always over when you get saved, as we know. It's ongoing. Stay close to him for strength, for power, for victory. You shall receive power from on high. Don't just add Jesus to your life, good though that may be. Add your life to Jesus. Appropriate his strength, his victory, his plans, his power. By his strength, he will add the super to our natural. By his strength, he will add the super to our natural. Warhorse also speaks of victory. Life's a battle, as we sang earlier. And the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly. We are equipped for victory. And his strength is sufficient for us. The last gate. This is the most exciting out of them all. The East Gate. The East Gate. We've been through lost sheep, swirling around on our own fish, old, rejecting the old, been through the dark times, got rid of the dung, been blessed by the fountain, washed in the water of the word, walking in victory. What's the next step? As the lightning comes out of the east, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Speaks of redemption, speaks of the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ when he will appear in all his glory. We may see this. The way the world is going, you and I sitting here today, we may see this. In Revelation 22, 16, Jesus said, I am the root and offspring of David, and the bright and morning star. What is the morning star? I looked that up in the dictionary. As you know, the dictionary is my second favorite book. The morning star, and I just love this. I hope you love it as much as I do. It is a planet, usually Venus, often seen just before the sunrise. The morning star, just before the sunrise. Do you get it? It's poetic. It's allegorical. It's metaphorical. It's everything in between. Venus, for us, has become the symbol of love. But think about that from the perspective of seeing it just before the sun rise. Just before the sun, Jesus returns. Reflecting the sun to the earth. It's just a complete, wonderful, amazing image. Don't you just love the way there's nothing in God that's spare? There's nothing that doesn't fit. It all comes together. The definition of the morning star somewhere I read was a comforting light in a dark world until the dawn of his return will offer, offer, usher in a new era when our Lord returns. And we may see him coming in great glory because the word says every eye shall see. So, 
We are blessed. We are so blessed. Blessed are they that do his commandments that they may enter in through the gates of the city. That was our story, these gates. I hope I'm not wrong. I don't think I am. I think that that is a complete story of our lives, of our salvation. They are points in our walk with him. It's retrospective and it's prophetic and it's everything in between. Nehemiah did not just rebuild the walls, but was instrumental in the complete restoration of God's people because, of course, they eventually returned and they became the Jews or they became known as the Jews. God did not do this just once. He repeatedly and constantly and continually restored his people. In spite of their unfaithfulness, he accomplished his will. The walls were rebuilt, the gates were renewed, and the people restored. They are the people of his hand, that his name might be glorified in the earth. We've told the story. We've remembered that God restores, rebuilds, renews, reforms. We've been through the gates. Isn't that magnificent? He comes again. Can't wait for that. His ways are glorious, individual, infinite. He is righteous in them all. He repeatedly and constantly deals with us in the same way, with his great love to restore, to renew, to reform, to reestablish. His ways are higher than ours, and they never change. Blessed be the Lord God Almighty who has done all things well. Thank you for listening this morning. <clears throat> I hope that you have all received something out of it because that was my prayer. I hope that the story of our salvation has been explored in a little bit more depth. If there is anybody here who would like prayer for any of those situations or feels they are in any of those situations and would like help, please feel free to come forward. going to do one more song no I think we'll just yeah we'll do one more song I've asked Mike to keep it nice and soft and then please feel free to come forward with the prayer team if you would like prayer for any of those gates if you feel stuck at any of those gates or if you are glorying in any of those gates feel free blessed be his name <laughs>